Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 156. I'd like to thank Heath Souza, a.k.a. Divinitis, for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. And that was his music once again, by the way. I'm not sure how long I get to use Heath's music for. So as I tweeted yesterday, still hate the word tweet, by the way, if any of you non-believers out there happen to be musicians and you'd like to get your music played on the show, just let me know. Maybe I'll spice things up by playing different artists here and there. If you're interested, just get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. So I'm going to do something a little different this week. I want to talk about some stories that at least superficially don't seem to have much to do with religion. But since our religious beliefs or lack thereof inform our views, maybe in a sense they'll still seem on topic, at least peripherally. The first story I want to discuss involves Belgium's controversial euthanasia law. Uh, I first heard of this from the Young Turks, and I'll actually play you a brief portion of that TYT clip now. Now, there are a number of countries uh, across the world that have legal euthanasia, but where should the line be drawn for those who qualify for that procedure? There's a new case in Belgium that is raising concerns even amongst those in Belgium who support the right to legal euthanasia. Now, there's a 24-year-old female known simply as Laura. She's been given the go-ahead by health professionals in Belgium to receive a lethal injection after spending both her childhood and adult life suffering from suicidal thoughts. So in the case of Laura, she is going to be receiving euthanasia, not for physical trauma, physical pain, physical stress, but emotional trauma and emotional stress from the depression and anxiety that she has suffered over the course of her life. Now, Laura has been a patient of a psychiatric institution since the age of 21 and says she has previously tried to kill herself on several occasions. She told journalists, death feels to me not as a choice. If I had a choice, I would choose a bearable life, but I have done everything and that was unsuccessful. And so, look, they have already decided that this is going to be allowed. She will be able to, uh, to receive a lethal injection. But I think that a lot of people, especially in America, where we don't have the sort of broad base of support for euthanasia that they have in countries like the Netherlands, like Belgium, some areas of Europe, um, they're questioning whether or not these sorts of cases should be legally allowed. Do you think uh, they should be legally allowed? I do think that they should be legally yeah, allowed. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I could be convinced otherwise. Mm -hmm. But I, I, depression is a much harder thing to figure out. And this woman sounds like a legitimate case, but there could easily be illegitimate cases. It is not... Define it, illegitimate in this case, though. Uh, somebody who's bummed out for a while. Somebody who's sad in the moment. Somebody who has had... Mm -hmm. Somebody who got broken up with. Somebody who feels uh, lost and alone, but wouldn't stay that way. Uh, and it is really hard to tell. I mean, it is an imprecise science. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a science that I'm thrilled that we have and that people can get treatment for it. But the notion that we're going to okay sad people to kill themselves is not something that I would get behind without the most overwhelming set of circumstances that proved it to me. And it didn't, from reading this article, and that's about all I know about it, mm -hmm. um, it didn't do it. It didn't do it. I mean, I, I want her to get help, um, and I would, you know, uh, but the notion that the state is going to sign off on executing someone who is not terminally ill is, a, a, I, I think, a very spooky, dangerous step that I would, uh, I would unquestion. At this point, I would vote against. So there you have it. And I'm definitely with uh, Ben Mankiewicz there, Mank the Tank. Probably, like many of you, I found this story really disturbing. I do support euthanasia in some instances. Say you have an older person who's lived a full life, 
and they're really suffering near the end, I can see euthanasia then. Or if you have someone who has a terminal illness, like some sort of inoperable or untreatable cancer, and they're going to die, but they want to go on their own terms, I can see that too. But there's something almost obscene to me about a young person who's otherwise healthy and who should be just starting out in life being euthanized. And I don't want to come off as being insensitive to or underestimating the depth of suffering that someone with depression can go through. Actually, quite the contrary. And I always feel kind of weird talking about this stuff on the show, but here we go. I actually wrestle with depression myself, and in fact, I'm taking a small dose of an antidepressant on a daily basis. And you might be thinking, you don't seem depressed, uh, you're laid back and always joking around. Uh, well, I think part of it is, despite my depression, I've always had a pretty decent sense of humor, at least I think so. And secondly, maybe it's because I've been dealing with it for so long. Uh, along the way, I've come to realize the importance of humor and battling depression. I try my best to have a positive outlook on life and to see the humor in things. I especially like nonsensical and maybe even sometimes inappropriate humor. I think sometimes you just need to acknowledge the absurdity in things, throw your head back and laugh. It's like a release valve. So if I can give a little backstory, as I've mentioned before, I was kind of a strange kid, uh, kind of a daydreamer, tended to live a lot inside my own head. And even from a really young age, I experienced existential bouts, getting in these funks where I'd wonder about things like whether there's a god or an afterlife or just obsessively worrying about anything and everything. But you probably wouldn't know it because on the outside, I think I kind of look as placid as I sound. But yeah, even as a little kid, I used to worry about some pretty heavy stuff. I remember being elementary school aged and wondering how I knew I really existed. Uh, too bad I wasn't aware of Descartes back then. I remember once walking through this big department store called Sears and Robux, I think. It's just Sears now, I believe. And they had a toy section. My mother agreed to buy me a Star Wars toy, Boba Fett's bounty hunter ship specifically. And instead of being happy like I should have been, I held the box in my hand, staring at it, looked up at my mother and asked, is this real? I'm not sure how weird that is. Maybe a lot of kids are kind of philosophical like that. But I was like that a lot. And I remember when I got to my teens, I would obsessively worry about stuff all the time. And I don't mean to make it sound like there was never any joy in my life. There were parties and friends. There were little joys, fleeting moments of euphoria, forgetting yourself in the beauty of nature, the falling of snow outside your window, the stirring of leaves in the breeze, etc. And of course, playing with my band. But there was always this undercurrent of angst, obsessive worrying, blue moods, self-esteem uh, issues, etc. Well, I got into my 20s, a number of factors came together that exacerbated my condition and brought it to a head. I think your early 20s can be a weird time for a lot of people. You're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Things are changing, friends moving away to school, people starting their careers. Uh, it was kind of like a quarter-life crisis, I guess. Add to that all my pre-existing baggage. And around that time, um, on top of everything else, I got into a couple of car accidents. Can't remember if I've mentioned this on the show or not, but the first one was when a friend and I were returning from 
lunch back to our crappy little retail job. He was a bit of a gearhead. He loved working on cars and driving fast. He sped through an intersection without stopping, causing another car to basically T-bone us, or at least I think it hit the passenger side uh, quarter panel, and of course I was on the passenger side. My head slammed off the side window and the windshield. I was so pumped with adrenaline that I felt alright at the time and declined medical attention. Not too long after I first started working construction with my family, I was on the highway stuck in bumper-the-bumper traffic on a rainy day. A speeding van plowed uh, into the line of traffic I was in, causing a pileup. My airbag deployed in my face. My car went off the highway down into a ditch where it was stopped by a tree. Uh, My car basically looked like an accordion, front and back. And once again, my head and neck got snapped around. So around that time, I developed these excruciating headaches like 24-7. Supposedly, the brain can't directly feel pain, but it felt like someone was simultaneously stabbing me in the head with a knife while twisting my brain tissue with a toothy wrench. Just brutal pain and nausea. And till this day, I'm still not sure if the headaches were solely the result of injuries sustained in one or both of those car accidents, or if they were perhaps a physical side effect of my worsening depression and anxiety. It was kind of a chicken or the egg scenario, or a vicious circle. The headaches naturally made me feel worse, mentally and emotionally, and in turn, the more stressed out and frazzled I got, the worse the headaches seemed. I saw a number of doctors. They gave me painkillers, muscle relaxers. Nothing seemed to work. The only thing that seemed to work were serotonin drugs, antidepressants. And it's funny, uh, serotonin is the same neurotransmitter potentiated by MDMA, ecstasy. And I remember, well, in the midst of a really bad headache episode, I went to a party at a friend's house and tried ecstasy for the first time. And magically, boom, my headaches were completely gone for the duration of the high. Uh, That was a great night. Uh, even saying crystal ship on the back porch and actually received applause. But anyway, antidepressants, especially SSRIs, selective serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors, I think, uh, seemed to be the only things that worked. And I kind of had a come-to-Jesus moment, figuratively speaking, where I said, well, let's be honest, there's a problem. Uh, there's more to this than just headaches. And if I'm going to be taking antidepressants, I might as well see a therapist. So I'm not just medicating the problem. And that's what I did. I've been doing talk therapy off and on ever since. And if some of you are thinking, well, maybe my depression wasn't as severe as some other people's, there were times when things were really dark. I felt really dysphoric at times. Dysphoric, one of my favorite words to sum up how I felt at these really dark points. Uh, Basically, the opposite of euphoric, just a complete lack of well-being, feeling really off and utterly hopeless. And I can remember when the headaches were at the worst, I just felt like this tangled skein of nerves and bone. Like, I couldn't imagine how a person could feel physically good because I felt so bad and I couldn't see an end to it. And it's a kind of weird or uncomfortable thing for a guy to admit, but at my worst, I can remember moments where I would wake up from a sound sleep in the middle of the night in complete despair, almost on the verge of tears. So I know depression. And I should stop to mention that it's the 3rd of July, and since the 4th lands on a weekend this year, um, Independence Day is technically observed today, and there's people outside lighting fireworks. I guess they don't know I'm trying to record a podcast. <clears throat> 
But anyway, so uh, I'll continue. So now that I've solipsistically rambled on about myself, I'll get back to the news story I was discussing. So this girl, 24 years old, institutionalized, claims nothing's been able to help. And I feel for her, and she must be going through hell. And maybe I'm naive, but I I know there's some people who have really stubborn cases of depression that don't respond well to meds or therapy, but there's got to be something. I don't know if it's that her issues run so deep or her brain chemistry is so off that not even mood-elevating drugs or therapy will work, but I refuse to believe that there is not some combination of time, medication, and therapeutic techniques out there that would help to some degree. It just seems so awful the government helping someone so young die when they're not even terminally ill. It's funny, pro-life people are always talking about the culture of death, referring to abortion. But if we start euthanizing people with mood disorders, then my opinion, we will have become a culture of death. And once again, I hope no one thinks I'm out of touch on this issue. Unfortunately, it's not just me. I have friends and family members who also suffer from varying degrees of depression. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus by naming them, but I even know people who have been hospitalized for mental-slash-mood disorders. And you guys know me. I'm a non-believer. I highly doubt the existence of an afterlife. So I pretty much think I know how it ends for all of us. The big sleep. Um, I'll be pleasantly surprised if there's something else, but eh, I doubt it. But anyway, hopefully I didn't just depress you more with this uh, lack of an afterlife stuff. The point I'm trying to make is that while we're alive, we should value life. We should try to do everything in our power to help people through, not usher them into the darkness before their time. And look at me, as I just pointed out, when I was 24, I was a mess. I was racked with debilitating headaches and felt emotionally hopeless. Uh, my life isn't a bed of roses, but I've had some really good times in between then and now. And I've known a lot of life's pleasures, big and small, and I still have my dark times. But the good times are good enough that I'm glad I didn't off myself when I was at my worst. And she's 24, barely lived a quarter of her life. She probably still has maturing to do. Who knows how things will sort themselves out in a few years or what treatments or meds doctors might try with her that might actually surprisingly end up being successful. 24 is pretty young to be deciding you know your life going forward isn't ever going to be any better. And John Iderola, one of the Young Turks uh, co-hosts in that clip, he kind of disturbed me by claiming later on in the piece that he lands on the side that euthanasia for people like her should be legalized. And I think his point was, and, and I kind of get where he's coming from. I remember feeling this way when I was younger, that a person should have sovereignty over their body and no one should be able to tell you when you can or can't die. And I get the spirit of that. And in fact, it's true that no matter what laws are in place, in a sense, we're all free to do whatever we want. It's just a matter of consequences. If a depressed person really wants to kill themselves, they'll find a way to do it. That doesn't mean the state or a doctor should help them do it. And you might say, well, keeping someone hospitalized so they don't kill themselves is restraining them against their will or something to that effect. Well, my answer would be you're right in a sense. And in a case like that, you should treat them the best you can while you can, but at some point they should be inevitably allowed to sign themselves out or whatever. And if they're bent on doing themselves harm, at, at that point it's up to family or loved ones to monitor them. But you have to grant them their freedom at some point. But that doesn't mean you have to help them kill themselves. 
I hope all of this is making sense. I obviously have some strong feelings on the matter. And wow, is this subject depressing. Maybe I'll cheer you and myself up a little with a story that's a bit more positive. Usually I equate Fox News with ignorance and bigotry. But, uh, but recently, longtime Fox News host slash anchor person Julie Banderas made a very positive and enlightened statement regarding same-sex marriage. So I'll play that for you now. I just want to say on Twitter, I asked my viewers if the GOP should continue its fight or if it should roll with the times because, folks, America has changed since we were children and since our parents, our fathers and mothers were babies. One person wrote me this, at Dehiba Heba writes me, American citizens should have a say in this matter and be allowed to vote on it. Let me, let me just say this, I'm a married woman, I have a married ring on my finger. I never asked anyone to, to vote whether or not I right to do this. I have a gay sister. She was the maid of honor at my wedding. I would love to be able to be at her wedding someday, and now I can. And there are so many others. One of my best friends here at Fox is a gay producer. He walked my mother down the aisle at my wedding. Now I get to be at hers. Who, his, who has the right to tell someone who loves another person, I don't care about their gender or their sex or the color of their skin, that they have the right to spend the rest of their life with somebody they love? All right, way to go, Julie Banderas. I heard that Roger Ailes, this is a true story supposedly, that Roger Ailes watches Fox News with the sound off and he monitors, you know, if the female anchor women are showing enough leg, etc. So I wonder if he missed out on her uh, pro-gay comments there. Hopefully that way she can hang around and uh, do some more damage. Um, but seriously, uh, I thought that was awesome. Uh, and I don't know how much leeway Fox actually gives its on-air personalities to kind of go against the party line like that, but I'm glad she said that. Uh, and with that being said, I guess I'll, I'll call this episode a wrap. Hopefully you guys didn't get bummed out by all that euthanasia, depression stuff. I just thought it, it was a really important story to talk about. And I hope I didn't give you more information than you wanted regarding myself. It just seemed like a natural digression to make because it tied into my own point of reference on uh, depression and uh, euthanasia for, for people with mood disorders. Uh, as crazy as that still sounds to me. Uh, and I think I have a correction to make. Uh, I forgot to do it at the top of the show. I think in the last episode, I referred to my friend Shelby as a broadcaster and a voiceover personality. I don't even think a voiceover personality is a thing. What I meant to say was a broadcaster and a voiceover artist. <laughs> so my apologies uh, to Shelby for that. And I'd also just like to give a shout out to the, the regulars, uh, Russ Ray, John Haas, Crocoduck, Mad Humanist, uh, Buzzwigs, a certain anonymous Aussie <laughs> that I've been communicating with on the Weekend Out uh, Facebook page. Uh, thanks to all you guys for letting me know you're listening and for engaging with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'd also like to, I already thanked these guys, but I'd like to thank them again. I want to thank Tim and Mark for helping the show out through Patreon. 
That means a great deal to me, and I want you guys to know that I haven't forgotten about you guys, the two of you. <laughs> I made a promise that I was going to make a, uh, or should I say record, an audiobook version of one of the many uh, public domain works by one of my favorite horror authors, H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know if either of you guys are Lovecraft fans, but I have selected a story, and I'm going to begin uh, recording it. I'll, I'll just I'll make a promise to myself, so you know, to try and make sure I, I stay true to it. I'll start recording that this upcoming week. And if you guys aren't H.P. Lovecraft fans, maybe there's some more Lovecraft fans out there, and this will entice you guys to maybe support the show through Patreon. The current reward on Patreon is uh, just the polished-up version of the St. Patrick's Day special. It's kind of a mini audio documentary where I cover the, uh, the history of St. Patrick. And now for the usual shameless plugs. You guys can follow the show on Twitter. You can like the Weekend Out Facebook page. You can interact with uh, myself and other listeners via the Weekend Out uh, Facebook page. You can review the show or subscribe through iTunes. You can also listen on Stitcher. You can go to Podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com and look for The Weekend Out. And there you'll find all the archives going back to episode one. And you can uh, also support the show monetarily through Podbean. There's a PayPal widget at the bottom of the page there's that alliteration and podbean also has this patreon like feature now where you can support the show through podbean and i think i get paid uh, via my paypal account and of course you can also check out the youtube channel and um man this wrap-up is actually i think vying with the actual content of the show in length but yeah, you can check out the YouTube channel, and I almost forgot a shout-out. I actually want to give a shout-out to old friend of the show, C-Web, the one and only uh, Chris Weber, for giving me some advice on uh, recording, etc. this past week. And also, I almost forgot to mention that I'm going to leave you with another song from Heath Souza, a.k.a. Divinitis. The name of this one is... You're pretty uncanny for a honey honey. And uh, here it goes. So thanks for listening. And until next week.